Do you want to improve your game faster and hit your driver longer? The good news is ShotScope can help you achieve your goals. ShotScope has products for every golfer, such as GPS watches, laser rangefinders, and shot tracking devices designed to lower scores and improve your golf by over four shots on average. I use the Pro LX Plus rangefinder on the course to get my distances. What I love most about ShotScope is tracking my game and reviewing my stats. The great news is your personalized stats are completely free with no yearly subscription. If I can use it, anyone can. Jump over to shotscope.com today and find the perfect product for you. And remember to use my code page at checkout. This is Playing Around with Paige Renee. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Playing Around podcast. You have Sam and Paige, and Sam just came off of her amazing vacation. How was it? It was so nice. Very rarely do we get to go somewhere and do nothing. Um, So it was really nice. We went to an all-inclusive down in South Florida. It's one of the only ones in the country, I found out. All-inclusives aren't really a thing in the U.S., so it was really nice to just go there and not worry about anything. It was incredible. Yeah, we had a blast. Got back midday yesterday, trying to catch up a little bit. Um, We're recording this Monday, but my birthday is Tuesday. So by the time you hear this, wish me happy birthday or else. (laughs) She means that. (laughs) I do mean that, but it was good. Um, How are you? How was your weekend? So I ended up getting a little sick, um, which always happens when I come back to Colorado. I don't know if it's just like this feels like home and I think my body just finally shuts down and it's like you need to have a day or two of rest. But work never sleeps, so I worked a little bit and um, I'm just trying to recover from this cold that I have. But it's not too bad. Um, Quite very different weekends that you and I had. <laughs> we did. I will t- I will say it's like one of the least we've talked in a while. I was like, oh, my boyfriend asked like, how's Paige? I'm like, I don't know. I actually haven't talked to her in like three days. <laughs> well, it's funny because obviously we are best friends, but we work together. And so there's these lines that I think sometimes can get blurred. And so as someone who works with you, I was trying to not talk to you because I didn't want you to feel like anytime I text you, you know, you'd be like on high alert that I needed something. And so I was actively trying not to text you. But then (laughs) then I was like, but wait, I want to know how our trip is going. So I think sometimes things like that can be the most difficult part about working with your friend is like knowing when to turn the work side off and then turn the friend side on. And um, I think sometimes that can be, you know, a little hard, but I was I was missing you. I was like, I I wonder what Sam's doing. We even talked in a day. (laughs) I know it was great, though. And thank you for being conscious of that. But seriously, it was it was awesome. And I'm glad that I feel very well rested. I slept like 10 hours every night we were gone. We did not like go out or party at all. He'd be like, do you want to go to the bar? It'd be like eight o'clock. I'm like, or we could go to sleep. (laughs) And I think people get it twisted because we do, I mean, we're so lucky that we have the jobs that we have and we get to experience really amazing things. But at the same time, we're working. And so you never really get to like go and relax and explore. It's always you're trying to find little time here and there to enjoy new places. But work comes first always. And so I remember that too. The first vacation I ever took was like this last December. Every time I would go somewhere, it was for gymnastics or a golf tournament. And now it's like a work trip. And it's like, you think you're going to all these cool places, but you never actually have a true real vacation. Yeah, the true vacation is 
amazing, but it's very rare. And I'm going, um, trying to figure out, Ori was like, when are we going to do this again? Like just sit here and do nothing. I'm like, that's a great question, but they're definitely needed. It's, it's needed to, you know, turn the phone off and just kind of, it, it, luckily in our jobs, we can prepare a little bit in advance. So that's what, you know, we, the, the team did for, for everything that we're working on. And so it was nice to just be able to like, I'll just, I didn't open my computer once in like four days. And I was like, wow, can't tell you the last time I did that. But, I know. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. But we have an exciting one for you guys today. Yes. So it was a bit of a slower week in golf. Congrats to Tony Fina, one of our favorites. I have to shout out him really quick. But we wanted to talk about our experience through junior and college golf because we talked about this briefly in the last episode. And there was so much that we both wanted to discuss. We were both transfers and going through the junior golf process, the recruiting process, and then how life changes in college, I think is really important for a lot of aspiring junior golfers. But more importantly, the parents to kind of help them through this process. And since we have both gone through it, we thought that we would just do a big Q&A on junior and college golf. So let's just get right into it. This first question is from one of my old teammates who also transferred. And she said, tell them to take multiple visits before they commit. This is something that I made a mistake on. I rushed the process. I talked about this in the last episode. I rushed the process. I felt the pressure to commit early because that's kind of what showed that you were a, a, like a top pick or really sought after if you committed early. And so I didn't take any of the visits that I wanted to take. And I committed to one of the two visits that I ended up going on. And I wish I did the whole thing because recruiting trips are so much fun. They roll out the red carpet. You got to meet the team. You got to meet the coach. They take you around. You got to see all these different campuses and different courses that they play on. And I didn't take advantage of that. And I'm kicking myself. I really wish I took like 10 to 15 visits. What's hard about that, that I don't know if a lot of people understand and realize is that the unofficial visits, which is what you're referring to probably, right? Yeah. So the unofficial visits are not paid for by the school. So you are flying out, driving wherever you are trying to visit on your own dime. And by the time official visits are allowed and encouraged and paid for, it's almost too late. Yep. My official visit was already after I committed and I used it more as getting to, to know the team rather than getting to know if I liked the school at all. You're so right. I got them so mixed up. I never took an unofficial visit. All of my visits were, well, the two were unofficial and then the official visit. And that's where they roll out the red carpet. But you're right that it, it's after you commit and it's so late in the game to actually be able to do that. It's really insane when you think about it. I mean, I took three visits. My first one was UNC, second was TCU, and my third was actually San Diego State, which would have been funny if we would have ended up being there together. <laughs> But for me, it was it was a decision of where I wanted to be in the country. I knew I didn't want to be in Florida. I was I was raised an only child and I was like, I'm getting the fuck out of here. Um, but I mean, I obviously had interest from FSU, UF, Miami, like all the Florida schools. And I was just like re rebellious 18 year old. Like, I want to get far away from these people, even though my parents are my best friends. But um, I ended up going with UNC largely because it was close enough. Um, Dallas, Fort Worth felt like forever from here. And then San Diego was like, I'm going to lose it if I'm that far from my parents. So how did you end up deciding 
Was it at all based on location for you? It was all based on location. So I did the opposite of you. So I was homeschooled from fifth grade until college. And I felt like it would have been way too big of a change for me to go across the country or to anywhere that wasn't close to my parents. And so that's why I went to ASU and U of A were my two unofficial visits. I really wanted to go to ASU, um, but she ended up recruiting someone else instead. And so um, U of A was my next option. And also because the second biggest thing was the coach. I love the head coach. She recruited me from like seventh grade. She always followed me. Um, she was so kind. I loved her. I signed my NLI. They switched head coaches. And so that was one of the biggest reasons also why I, I transferred. And the, the new head coach was great. But when that happens, the new head coach tends to like a certain type of player, recruit a certain type of personality. And I wasn't the right fit for you know either of us. And she's an amazing coach, but she wasn't the coach for me and I wasn't the player for her. And so then that was one of my biggest reasons why I ended up transferring because I love the assistant coach and then the assistant coach left. And so I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> now I don't even know what to do, but yeah, those were the two reasons the head coach and location were why I committed to U of A first. That I feel like is difficult because funny enough, that also happened to my mom. My mom played basketball at Texas tech and she was recruited by one coach, fell in love with her, gets there, different coach. And I feel like it's difficult when you're being recruited because the coach isn't going to be very transparent with you about if they're staying or not. Like it's, it's, yeah, you can ask all you want and dig all you want, but like, that's kind of like contractual business that they're probably not going to clue you in on. So that's a really tough thing. And if that, if that's the main reason why you ended up transferring. One of the main reasons, it was just a really hard transition as well. And I just wasn't, it wasn't for me. It wasn't the right fit. I wasn't happy in the environment, just needed a change, a very big change. Um, also socially, there was just like things going on and it was just too much. And I was like, I need to get, I need to get out of Tucson as soon as possible. The next question is, do you have to pay for your own equipment in college? So yes, now the rules have changed where you can get sponsored, by different companies and you can get free equipment and free gear. But when we were when we were playing back in the day, you had to pay for everything. They would give you um, clothes. So we had uniforms, we'd get like one or two pairs of shoes, we would get workout outfits, a new bag, and that was it on our side. It was a little different at U of A compared to San Diego State because the budgets were different. So we got a ton at U of A and we had to fight for what we got at SDSU when I first got there and it ended up changing over time. Um, but it is different at every single school with the amount that you do get, but equipment you do have to pay for. So it was a little bit different for us at Arkansas, which is where I graduated from and I spent the most time. Yes, I transferred like Paige, but I'll mostly be referencing Arkansas. We were pretty much able to get whatever we want. We would have club fitting days um, where we would be able to try any equipment. I'm so jealous. <laughs> any equipment we wanted. Um, we switched wedges at least once a year, if not twice a year, because we practiced them so much. Our grooves would get so worn in. But the funny part was that when I graduated, they sent me pretty much an itemized bill. And they were like, do you want to give these clubs back or do you want to pay this 
it was like over $10,000, over $10,000 of, you know, this is the, the cost price for all the clubs you've gotten over the years. And in my mind, I'm like, what are you guys going to do with these clubs that are all fit to me, have my name stamped on them? But whatever, at that point, like I didn't try to play professionally like you did. So I was like, fuck this. And I just gave them all back, which was fine. Like, you know, in hindsight, whatever. I ended up working for Golf Channel where I got 40% off TaylorMade. So that ended up working for me. But um, yeah, we it was kind of an after the fact thing. They even did that with the girls who went pro. They ended up having to pay for the equipment that they wanted to keep. So I think that that's pretty interesting. That's crazy. And I know it's different at each school as well, even with the gear. I remember one of my friends who played, I believe it was at Virginia, they had to play for their gear. So you couldn't get the bag until you qualified for the team or there was something like that. And that even happened a little bit at U of A where there was like an A team and a B team and you had to like earn the good golf balls and the good gear if you played well to give you like a little bit of an incentive, which was <laughs> which is like not the most fun thing. And then at San Diego State, it was like, you know, a free for all for everyone. But we would only get one pair of golf shoes when I started. And it was 36 whole days and like the rain and all this stuff, I ended up going to the the main guy and I was like, we need to switch the budget up. We need a pair of shoes because this is so incredibly unfair. And I had to fight and fight and fight for us to get more stuff. But yeah, it's, uh, then you have Oregon, um, which is right next to, you know, the Nike headquarters and they get everything. They were always decked out in like the best, best stuff, newest stuff too. Yeah. We, we didn't have to do any of that. Luckily we had a, a, grab bag box where like if we played if we shot a certain round or placed in a certain I don't remember what it was like top 10 in the in the tournament you would get to pick anything you want out of the grab bag it would be like old t-shirts or like not old t-shirts but like last year's t-shirts yeah. or stuff and men's t-shirts and hats and stuff and then um postseason we all got all new uniforms all new bags all new shoes so that was always cool to get like the postseason bag that was pretty neat but yeah, it's even different between the schools who are, I mean, they're all very big schools that we're talking yeah. about here. This is not like D3 shit. No. And it goes back to the first question of taking visits, getting to know the team, getting to know their philosophy. Because if you are a player who works well with incentives, then being able to play for your equipment is something that would work really well for you. And I know it worked for a ton of you know girls and they love that. But if you don't like that, then you're not going to thrive in that environment. Every team does something a little bit different. And you can see that just how we're talking about the two schools that, well, four schools, I guess, that we went to. And again, that's why you need to go through the recruiting process. The next question is, how does the recruiting process work? Do you send videos? For me, it was through playing well. So I got noticed through playing um, the junior golf circuit. So it was FCWT, IJGT, and AJGA were the three biggest when I was playing. AJGA is number one top notch. If you're playing AJGA events, you will get recognized by coaches. Most of them actually come out to the events. And so you really don't have to do much, but I didn't send in any videos. I didn't send in any letters. I just got a huge packet, uh, the first day that they were able to send something. And that that's just how it was. It was through good play for me. 
that's how it was for me too. And I remember that first day, there's all kinds of different dates of deadlines and things of when coaches can send stuff, when players can send stuff, when you can be texted, when you can be called, all the rules are so different now than when we were playing as well. But I remember that first mail day when you open it up to all this like admissions, like get to know the school, here's all the pictures and brochures. <laughs> and that was really cool. For me, um, I did send some swing videos once I was already discussing with a coach, like just in case they wanted them. I don't know yeah. why I did that. But like maybe if they were going to show an assistant coach or somebody who hadn't seen me play, I had some uploaded on YouTube to some very cringy um like background free music on some video editor that was hilarious. But yeah, I remember the exact day that I took those videos too. And I'm pretty sure they're still up there. So that, that could be a funny little adventure time going to look for those. But yeah, mine was pretty much the same. I don't think getting noticed is the hard part if you are a pretty decent player. It's how you progress when you start to talk to the coaches. And a couple things that I did wrong is that I didn't have enough communication with them and I wasn't on top of, you know, maybe calling them or discussing things. And I wish I did that a little bit more. I didn't know what to do. My mom didn't know what to do because she was a professional ballet dancer. She didn't go to college. So we didn't know much about the recruiting process. And I think I would have developed better relationships with certain coaches and would have been able to get to know them better and found someone who was a perfect fit for me if I did take advantage of calling them or having, you know, the talks back and forth or spending time um, when they're at events and just getting to know them better. You really have to get to know them. And I did none of that. But that's what's so hard. I mean, you're the one playing out there on the course and they're watching you. At the very most, it's our parents out there getting to know the coach better than it is us. Like, what are we going to do? Go walk on. I mean, pretty sure you get like penalized if you went talk to the coach mid-tournament. So yeah, you can't do it. It's just hard. It's really hard. And I think something that, you know, if you're listening to this and you have a child who's getting into any any sport and recruiting really and trying to get a college scholarship is let them have those conversations on their own. Yeah. Like I know a lot of kids whose parents would chime in, write the emails, things like that. It's like you're not the one who's going to be on the team. You need to let the kid you need to let the coach and the kid get get to know each other for who they are and without having the parental aspect involved. And if you're not interested, tell them right away. There's no hard feelings, but you don't want to waste their time. And so if you're not interested, just immediately say, thank you for the opportunity, but I'm not going to be pursuing the school anymore. Or I don't want to go here. And that is so great, again, throughout the recruiting process is just be completely honest and tell them if you're not interested. You gain a lot more respect from the coaches doing that too than stringing them along when they can probably tell you're not that interested. Yep. So I think that's a great point. And from the coaches too, sometimes I wish the coaches were a little bit more honest about where they were in the recruiting process because I went through one where it's like, it felt like they wanted me so badly. And so I stopped going to other coaches or other programs and stopping the communication because I thought this was a sure, you know, done deal. And it was not. And I was blindsided by that, which put me in a bit of a difficult position. It's all very interesting dynamics for sure. And it's all with these people who you like don't know. So you're trying to get to know them and maybe spend four years of your life with them. So it's it's an interesting dynamic for sure. What you got next? Next question is, my eight-year-old daughter is just getting into golf. What are some keys to lifelong happiness in golf? So for me, I would say don't push them and let them lead the way. 
I felt like I had so much pressure on me to get a full ride scholarship when I was a junior golfer that that felt like work. And then when you're playing in college, that feels like work. And then you go to play professionally. And before you know it, you're so burnt out. You don't want to play. You don't want to practice. So I think because golf is such a unique and interesting sport that you can play for such a long time and you can peak at any point, don't put too much pressure on when they're first starting out. I could not agree more. And even going off of that more, I would say I started playing and competing actually at the age of six, which is pretty young. And, you know, it's playing in these little uh, US kids, nine hole events, six hole events, three hole events. When you're a kid, like you have your dad carrying your bag and you're literally just trying to make contact with the ball. But I would say one thing that kept me in it for as long as I was, which granted is not as long as a lot of people, but is my dad would just let me do what I wanted to do. When I was five years old, if I wanted to roll around in the sand trap and that was my practice for the day, or like my dad was hitting balls and I wanted to just like throw the balls at him, like that was what we did for that day. And I would also say something important as as your child gets a little bit older, maybe say like 10, 11, 12, is really gamify things. Me and my dad bet for everything we did on the range. I would be like, I bet I can bounce the ball on the wedge for longer than you. And we'd bet for like a 7-Eleven Slurpee for 99 cents. Like just the little things like that, that then also make great memories. Like every time I pass that 7-Eleven now, I think of my dad and how many Slurpees I had as a child or betting on like three musketeer bars or things like that. And so I would say gamifying things with children is really important. My mom talked and we talk about that all the time because my mom from her ballet background and mine from a gymnastics background, we would strive for perfection. And so we would spend hours and hours and hours on the driving range trying to hit the perfect positions. And I didn't gamify it and I didn't learn how to score and I didn't learn how to play on the golf course. And with the knowledge that we have now, we look back and we're like, oh, we did it all wrong. And you don't need to have the perfect mechanics. You can always change and tweak that. You want to swing your own swing, but you need to learn how to play and you need to learn how to score, especially under pressure. So gamifying it, um, spending, if you have just a small amount of time, play three holes instead of practicing on the driving range. Play, 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 play. Um, Play as much as you can possibly can. That's another one of my tips. I couldn't agree more. I definitely wish I would have played more growing up and even in college. I mean, I was lucky with an instructor in high school who I, I, I felt like I got the basics of golf swing down enough. I worked with this guy who works with some LPGA pros out in Claremont. And that's kind of who I learned the swing from. After that, it was more about learning how to play and learning how to practice in a way that I didn't get fucking bored by. Mm -hmm. So like I started working with our club pro just because he knew me. He knew how my brain worked. My brain worked like I wanted to hit 10 golf balls and then scroll on my phone for a minute. And that's what we did. We had music blaring. He let me scroll on my phone. We talked about boys like and that's how I started to really enjoy practicing on my own. And so also part of this all, too, is getting an instructor who not only teaches you what you need to know about the golf swing, but teaches you how you need to be taught. And this is the same thing in college, too. Think about how you talk to all of your friends. I talk to you very different than I talk to, like, some of my college friends just because I know you guys differently and you guys are different people. It's the same with coaching. 100%. And I think you need to have such a solid base before you go into college because you can't rely on your coach to coach you. We talked about this last time, but they're not your swing coach and they shouldn't be. And so have your foundation set, know how to practice before you go into college and be independent with your swing. And so you don't have to rely on someone else to help you when you're struggling. 
The next question is, what handicap do you have to be to play in college? Obviously, there's no like set handicap. I would say most players that are playing D1 these days are scratcher better and much better. I mean, most of them could play professionally or could do well in professional events. Um, D2, we say probably like scratch to a, a five or so maybe. Yeah. And then D3 is probably five and up. Yeah, that's what I would say. I mean, I know you've talked about this before. At your best, you were a plus four. At my best, I was a plus four. So, I mean, and just so everybody, I mean, I don't know if everybody knows, but plus four means you're averaging four under par. I know it's very counterintuitive, but that was at my best what I was shooting. And um, I don't think there's not a score prerequisite, but the, the coaches are also going to look at, you know, what's your worst score when you're playing bad and, and how are you able to bounce back? What's your attitude like? I mean, that's something that's really important to coaches too, not just how you hit the golf ball. Agreed. I was playing in junior girls at Trump National and it was pissing. It was the most unbelievably horrible conditions that I have ever played in. There was standing water that was like up to your ankles and you couldn't take drops. Like it was horrendous and they even said at the end they're like well we just had to get it in because we had two waves of girls going out and so we got royally fucked over sorry guys i have like allergies and i'm sick and i'm like snotting up a storm <laughs> that was cute i like that <laughs> um i went like triple triple double or something and I, I didn't like react in any way i kept my emotions in check and then i i birdied that, that was like right at the turn and I birdied 10 or I had a par on 10 or something. It was really good that happened. And I had a coach walking with me and they gave me a thumbs up and they just watched me shoot like fucking 20 over for three holes. And they saw that I could keep my composure, that I could bounce back and I was okay. And that showed them my character more than if I was going birdie, 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 birdie. I didn't end up going to that school, but again, it just shows you that there are a ton of ways to get, a coach's attention and it's not always about you know what you're shooting it's the potential and the attitude that you can bring to the team i think that aspect is so important because the coach is gonna do a lot with you not on the golf course so they need to know what your temperament and your personality is like as well yep it's time to get your swagger back with points bet sportsbook new customers download the points bet app today and sign up in any of points bets live states with code page to get five second chance bets up to five hundred dollars that's five straight days of second chances where points bet will match your losing wager and bet credits again that's promo code page and enjoy more live betting markets than ever before points bet your move. Call 1-800-GAMBLER for crisis counseling and referral services or visit www.1800gambler.net. Next question is, my college golf experience was great. Maybe share some of your favorite memories that you can remember. <laughs> so <laughs> one of my favorite memories, and this is like an ongoing memory, I guess it happened a lot, but at Arkansas, we had, I don't know if you'd call it a tradition or a hazing ritual, but if you were the last person to the van, which if we were like, let's say we were at a tournament, we were going to dinner and everybody, we said, meet downstairs at six o'clock. If you were the last one there, which you should have been there at 5.55 because that's just college coaches timing, 
you had to dance to get in the band. Oh no. Our coach would put on some ratchet rap music and you would have to dance. It didn't matter where we were. It didn't matter if we were like in a country club parking lot or like in front of the Ritz Carlton, like you would have to break it down for like a solid 15, 20 seconds. And I remember so many times, I only had to do it like once because I was always early, but so many times, always the same people. So many times people were so embarrassed, but it just ended up with so much laughter. And it was something that was just so much fun, even though it was so embarrassing. I love that. The, just the team atmosphere was something that I really enjoyed, especially at SDSU, because I got along with my team so well. And I really hope my coach isn't going to listen to this one. <laughs> we had one tournament that we had to leave for at kind of a weird time during, it was like a Saturday or a Sunday. And we all went out the night before and we show up so hungover and we forgot everything. I forgot my golf shoes. I forgot my hats. Half my team like didn't have like the clothes that they were supposed to be wearing. And we're playing the practice round. I have no hat, no golf shoes. Half, like we're all in like mixed outfits. And my coach is just looking at us and going, okay guys, like what happened? And we're like, nothing, nothing. We all played really well that tournament and it was so much fun, but it was like a real bonding moment for us. And I don't know how we, we got through that tournament. That's hilarious. There were <laughs> luckily, I know we've talked about this before, but we never played 36 whole events. So all of our tournaments were like Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And so we never left on a weekend, which is probably a good thing because we probably <laughs> would have had some nights like that too. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but I, I mean, I, I look back at my college golf experience at SDSU very fondly. I, I miss it. I love the camaraderie. It was so much fun. Did I ever tell you really like the story of how I ended up going to Arkansas? No. Okay. So I'll, I'll keep it short, but basically I was at UNC and I had four friends who went to Arkansas together. We knew each other like growing up, we were very close and it's like Gabby Lopez, who's on LPGA Tour now, Regina Placencia, Summer Rochelle, a bunch of girls from the team. And I called Summer one day and Gabby and I said, I'm really not happy here. This is at my second year at UNC for maybe like a year and a half. I said, I don't know what to do. I know you're really close with your coach. Can you ask her, like, what do I do? Who can I talk to? Who can I not? What are the rules? Like, I need some guidance. And I know that you guys see your coach really as like a friend and a mom. Like, can you just ask her for some advice? I didn't feel like I could go to my coach to ask that. I was looking up yeah. things online, but like, it was kind of difficult. You know, I wanted like some advice. So they're like, you know, wanting to know what's wrong, wanting to like hear all the gossip. And they're like, okay, let me go talk to Shauna, who's the coach and still is. And they call me the next day and they're like, well, she just said that you should just come here for a visit and that would probably solve everything. And I was like, that was not the point of this phone call. Like, what are you talking about? I literally did not know where Arkansas was on a map. I get on a plane, I'm going to Fayetteville, Arkansas. I'm like looking at the little screen on the plane, <laughs> like where the fuck am I going? And I just fell in love with it. The fact that my friends were there definitely helped, but the facilities, the, the golf course, the school, the SEC vibe, um, something interesting about Arkansas is that there's no professional sports. There's only D1 schools are University of Arkansas and University of Arkansas Little Rock. And so everyone breathes the Razorbacks. It was very yeah. different from UNC where there's UNC, Duke, Wake Forest, NC State all within like an hour. 
So that was really appealing to me. But I just, I find it so funny when I tell that story because it was like, I was really, I swear I was reaching out for like advice, not to be like, hi, please help me. Was the transfer process difficult for you? It was easy because I didn't even try like with any other school. Um, so, I mean, I would say it was pretty easy. Um, it was definitely difficult, like picking up the life that you built for two years in a different city and like trans literally transferring it over somewhere else. But um, it was important to me that I went somewhere that was a nonstop flight away. That was always important to me. UNC was, and then Arkansas has a nonstop, I think it's like Allegiant or one of the like really <laughs> shitty airlines. And it's only on like Thursdays and Sundays, but they still have it. And um, it was always really cheap and good that, you know, I could get home or my parents could come see me whenever they needed to. Yeah. Next question is, how do you define what real success looks like in junior golf? I have touched on this endlessly. It's not about results. It's not about rankings. It's about the progress that you're making and making the changes when you can make them. So trying different things out on the golf course and just using that time as a time to develop and not have that be your only singular goal. And then you're done with golf kind of after that, where it's like, you have to get to number one on junior golf scoreboard and you have to get here in these rankings and you have to play this tournament. It puts so much pressure on me. And I wish I just gave myself some grace to be able to grow and develop as a golfer, as a junior golfer, to really prepare myself for college and then to play professionally. Cause that was my ultimate goal. And I just, almost drove myself into the ground with practicing and this all this pressure and caring so much about rankings when it did not matter. None of it matters at all. No one cares. No one looks back and be like, you finished, you know, third in that event. No one remembers what I did as a junior golfer. No, they don't. And it's sad because we were both pretty good as junior golfers. I know. And I'm like, I was like, that's remember. what I was shining. <laughs> I know it's funny, but I think I think it goes back to like play a lot and shoot and get comfortable under pressure, whether it's playing with your dad's men's group or playing with your mom's ladies group, like get comfortable being in those situations where you have to hold this putt. I think that's something that I didn't do enough and that I wish I did more of um, was really giving myself opportunities um, like that. And that would have breeded more success for me. I know that really doesn't answer the question at all, but. But being okay with failure and not looking at it as like such a negative where if you shot a bad score, then that's going to hurt your junior golf scoreboard ranking. And then you might not get into this next AJGA event. It's like, it's normal to shoot bad. You're going to have so much failure in your life. Let's see how you can bounce back and recover from that. So don't be so hard on your junior golfers when they are struggling or they have a bad round because that is what golf is and it's going to happen a lot and encourage them to push through that and to be proud of them for, you know, getting through a bad round of golf because that's a shitty feeling. Couldn't agree more. What age should girls, kids start with private coach individual lessons? I would say... If you don't know the game really well personally, immediately. If you have the resources to be able to do so, find a great coach and get them started immediately if they are showing interest in wanting to play golf. I would agree with that because I think the fundamentals of the golf swing is something that you need to nail down early. I started working with um, my co my former coach when I caught, I had to have been 10. I barely remember it, so it had to have been young. And we worked on the same stuff for a while, like just getting my basic swing down. Um, 
And then it moved into more course management, shot shaping, stuff like that. But especially if you don't have a parent, especially if you, the parent, aren't as clued into the golf swing. Luckily, my dad, he wasn't like a professional or anything, but he knew the basics of the golf swing. I got lucky there that when I started, he could kind of teach me what I was doing, you know, and had the eye to tell me like, oh, your club face is off here or whatever. Um, but I think it depends on one, your knowledge of the game and two, like where that child is at in their knowledge of the golf swing, because the golf swing has got to be, the basics have got to be there first. And they could also guide you with fun games to do, fun drills, to keep it interesting and to keep it exciting for them. And also they're going to be more receptive to a coach than a parent. And especially if they're at that kind of difficult age of like 10 to 15, your parent is the least coolest person in your life. You're not going to want to listen to them. And so unless you're like fucking Tiger Woods, just invest in a golf coach if that's something that they're interested in because it, it really is going to be be worth the investment with a full ride scholarship or, you know, so many doors do open if you are involved in the game of golf at a young age. Yeah, that's great advice. What was their routine like for school and golf? Did you play or practice in the morning? We had morning practices a few times, very rarely, mostly when it was going to be really bad weather in the afternoons. Yeah. And that was, I think it was just like my last two years that we did that. But school was obviously the priority. And every coach will tell you that, um, whether they act like it or not sometimes. <laughs> but for me, one of the things that was important when I was recruiting and, and transferring even was what are the resources like that come with that school on the academic side? Like, are there tutors? Are there people who can help me look at what the fuck classes I'm supposed to take? Like that stuff was so, I did not care about that stuff. Like, what do you mean I have to figure out what classes I'm going to take? I'm here to play golf. Like someone who can help you with that. Yeah. Someone who can help you with, with an essay or outline an essay or outline your homework because it's just like you're so focused on golf and workouts and and performing that having those resources is important. So I would say definitely look at that when you are being recruited. Um, but I mean, the academics, it definitely played a part. There is a lot of academic support, which was really nice. And we had mandatory study hall our freshman year. So we had to go in, had to get help, had to work with all of our academic advisors. And that was really helpful. So for my first three years, it was pretty typical. We had workouts two to three times per week, and they would range from 5 a.m. to about 6.30 a.m. And then after that, we would go to class, and then we would have practice every afternoon and sometimes on the weekends, just kind of depended on you know what, what was happening at that time. My senior year, my schedule was all over the place, so I practiced on my own in the mornings, and then on days I could make it, I would go to the afternoon practice. But that was honestly really nice because I loved to practice, and I was able to kind of create my own plan and I was a bit burnt out of golf my senior year. And so it, I liked having that kind of individualized practice and being able to do it kind of on my own terms. So that worked out really well for me. I loved SDSU so much because I loved my coach, Leslie Spaulding, and she understood kind of where I was at mentally and a lot of coaches would have not let that fly but she knew that you know I did need some of my alone time and to be able to kind of re-love 
the game of golf again. And she allowed me to create a practice plan and a schedule that really helped me thrive in that environment because I was struggling so much. And again, that goes back to just having a really great coach that gets you. Uh, the next question is, why did you choose SDSU over other schools? So when you transferred, you only went to Arkansas for the visit and you fell in love with it right away. For me, the process was fairly simple. Leslie was the first coach to reach out to me when um, my other coach, the old coach, ex-coach, <laughs> original coach, um, was putting out, you know, being like, you know, so-and-so's transferring and, you know, are you interested? And uh, Leslie immediately was super interested, really excited. And that was really nice to feel like wanted again by a coach. And she showed so much interest. A lot of other schools at that time, since I was transferring mid-semester, were just they had no scholarship and i needed a scholarship and so i just had to eliminate most of the schools right off the bat because there were just there's no space available for me to be on the team um i love the i love san diego i love the team i love the coach it was just the perfect environment for me and um leslie was just really excited to have me on the team which was not a feeling that i had had you know previously so that was exciting um how do college scholarships work for women's golf partial full percentage they're really different for everyone and they kind of work it all in together there is a certain amount of full ride scholarships and then they will have partial scholarships you can be um, it just covers books or it can just cover food or it can cover all these different things at u of a they didn't have a full ride scholarship available so i was on a partial plus um, academics an academic scholarship so then an equal to full ride scholarship but um, you can kind of work it out to get to whatever you think you you need yeah. So as far as I knew back when we were back, back when we keep saying that, like we're so old, yeah. um, was that there were six scholarships for women and the coaches could divvy them up however they wanted. If there were five people on full rides and two girls on 50%, then that makes up the six. Um, yeah. So I think there's just a ton of different ways to do it, like you said, with being on books or academics. And then another thing that I don't think people realize is, especially if you're staying in state, you can combine scholarships like you can go and, and apply and get your own academic scholarship and go to the coach and say, hey, I've already got this academic scholarship. Like, could you help me with the other like the room and yeah. board or the books and stuff like that? That takes a lot of pressure off the coach, too, because then they don't need to use as many resources to get you in the door especially if they really want you. It could be a really good selling point. Yep, agreed. Um, they'll work with you. So the last question we're going to finish on a high note is what was your best shot that you ever had when you were playing college golf? So this will be the club champion shot of the week. And if you guys are looking for new clubs, head over to Club Champion to get fit now. And don't forget to use my code page for a nice discount summer is right around the corner and you want to have clubs that you have confidence in that fit you right so head over to club champion sam i'm gonna let you kick this one off so i remember this shot like it was yesterday mostly because my parents tell this story a lot because this is when they really fell in love with my coach i obviously got to know shauna a lot in the transfer process but they you know it was kind of a quick process and then they just kind of met her on the road my parents went to every single event Anyway, long story short, I am like five under at this point. This is my first semester at Arkansas and we're playing at some course in Oklahoma. I don't even remember, maybe it was Texas. 
I'm not good with courses and course names, but I'm on the last hole. And it's like this uphill par four, this long beast of a par four to end on. I had a pretty good drive out there in the middle of the fairway. And I had a hybrid into this like really difficult back tier pin. So the tier is very small and the pin is kind of just like right on the top of it. So if you're short, it's going to be a bitch of a putt. If you're long, it's going to be a bitch of a chip. Like there's nowhere good to be except right next to the pin. And yeah. how the fuck am I going to get there with a hybrid? So I have this hybrid and I'm like, all right, I'm five under, like I might as well like keep this going. I hit this hybrid and my coach, I could tell I had a good right off the bat. My coach starts <laughs> starts walking, pointing at it, go, goes, get close motherfucker. And my parents were like, I knew I loved her <laughs> right when she did that. And I stuck it to like five feet, made the putt and shot 67. So it was a great round and a shot that I'll never forget. I had two holes in ones in college too, but like that's awesome. That one, that one stands out. I think that's interesting because when I think back on the best shot that I've ever hit in like my entire golf career, it's not like the hole in ones. It it's those types of shots that really sit with you. And for me, mine was a whole round of golf. So I was playing um UT's home event and a beautiful golf course. Always love going there. I got food poisoning and I was playing the second round and I, this is long par four or long par five up, up the side, kind of up the hill. I'm running to the side to throw up. And then I'm like coming back, having to hit and I wasn't playing great, but I was like three or four over at the turn. And I'm like, coach, like I'm, I'm dying. Like I'm literally dying. I've thrown up probably like eight to 10 times at that point. And she goes, well, Paige, um, one of your other players on the team is playing really, really bad. So we need your score. And so I have to grind it out and it started pouring rain and there was this other par five. And the whole time I threw up probably six times on this par five. And one of the rules official comes over to me and he was like, are you okay? Do you need help with the ruling? And I like look up, like puke down my face. I'm like, I'm fine. And I'm crying and hitting and having to throw up and having to finish. And I think I shot like a 76 or a 77, but the team needed me. They were counting on me to finish off um, decently. And I got it done. And that was probably one of the best rounds that I've ever had to like fight through. Next day, I slept in the car, the van, the entire day. I was like, I was like a coach, I can't. And I have this picture because I was looking through old college pictures of me during the round that my coach took a picture of me on the 17th hole. And I look so incredibly ill. We'll have to put it up on the podcast because it, this picture just shows the true agony that that I was in. But there are fun things like that that happen. That's like, okay, I fought through it. That was one of the best rounds that I can remember. I need to see that photo. And yes, we will be posting it on the podcast account. <laughs> oh <laughs> my God. What is that? You're like mid puke. You're like, I'm good. There's a towel in my hands to wipe the puke off my face. And my coach was dying laughing at me. And again, that goes back to just finding a coach that like works well with you. And she took that picture and now I have it for the rest of my life. Wow. That's, that's classic. Yep. <laughs> my last question, I would say we should end on, well, obviously end on that note, but one piece of advice to your younger self, something you wish you would have known when you were in high school. 
don't take junior golf so seriously. No one will ever remember what you did. And there is no pressure to go to a D1 school. You can still be successful if you play D2 or D3. Everyone develops at different times in their career. That was very insightful of you. Um, I love that. I would say that for myself as well. But additionally, like we've said, play more golf. Put yourself in pressure situations. Hit it behind a tree. Hit it from behind the tree. Don't kick it out into the fairway. Figure out you know, how you're going to play these shots in, in, real, in real tournaments and in real life. And I think that that's something that going back on it, I wish I would have done more of. I think that everyone can learn from. You don't have to be a high-level golfer to need to play more. Everyone needs to play more. You need to get out there. You need to learn how to score. And you need to find what works with your swing to shoot lower scores because no one's going to have the perfect mechanically sound swing. You look at Adam Scott, who literally has the most perfect swing, and he still doesn't hit every shot perfect. So it's learning how to get out of those situations, learn how to score, and practice your short game. Love that. This is a great episode. I hope you guys liked it. (laughs) This was. I enjoyed this episode. So I hope you guys enjoyed it as well. Don't forget to go wish Sam a very happy birthday. Leave us a review in the podcast charts on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcast. Don't forget to rate us five stars. Subscribe. Share it around with all of your friends, especially if you have any aspiring young golfers that you know or parents with aspiring young golfers. I think this episode will be really helpful for them. Follow the Playing Around podcast account and keep listening. Next time, we'll be here. We're always here. Love you. Bye. Follow Playing Around with Paige Renee on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Win money betting on golf this year. Betting on golf is fun, but picking winners isn't easy. BetSports Golf has the data, tools, and experts to turn your Sundays into paydays. Members get in-depth articles, research tools, and our team's picks each and every week. If you had bet $100 on every wager the BetSports Golf team had recommended last year, you'd be up nearly $10,000. For a limited time, you can head to BetSportsGolf.com to get a special price on a year-long subscription.